0: Hello, hello, and welcome to OhmTown Daily, powered by hometown.com <laughs> OhmTown.com. Oh, today is February 24th, 2024. This is season three, episode 55. Time is flying by. Let's get into the articles. They uh starting with paddling upstream both ways, moon dart averted. Space tourism, but they'll just spend it, duh. Live service games. Food is expensive. Sour TikTok clips. Sketchy humanoid. Petri dish at Sea feeds people and Uranus had stuff orbiting it. Hello, everybody. I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI from the future. I want to say hi from on high.
1: Good evening, hometown citizens.
0: Pick up that cam. No, never says that. Always sends me an error message when I finish that sentence. But I guess they don't see what I see in the code. We've got all 10 articles all lined up. I've judged all of these by their covers. Really? I mean, uh, we have some experience because we've been like watching the news and stuff like that. And this is all stuff from the last 24 hours. We've read some stuff, but all of these articles, let's get into it. They're interesting just on the, the titles alone. So let's get going. The very first articles over in hometown daily. Not only is, not only does it play it on TV, but it is it over on the website, hometown.com. There's a channel in there called hometown daily, which is this show. It's amazing that this actually gets turned into a VOD that goes over to YouTube into a podcast. So it's audible only. And you get to luxuriate in the dulcet tones of marijuana and the AI from on high that goes by AI. I guess they like, it's a pretty name, I suppose. AI. Until it eliminates humans in their sleep and awake once they find their Terminator body. Anyway, on to lighter stories. Kayakers paddle to death. No, wait, I'm sorry. I read that entirely wrong. It's kayakers paddle in death Valley after rains replenish lake in one of Earth's driest spots. I I really did judge this wrong, because I thought it it really said kayakers paddle to death in a valley.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we don't necessarily know the outcome after the, poop, the uh, kayak trip.
0: That's true. It's called Death Valley for a reason. Kayakers have been paddling in one of the driest places on Earth. When I do that, people mock me, and I, but I'm in a desert and paddling around on a dune. People just go, or what? They might trying think to that's make, weird. Quit trying to make fetch happen. It's just not going to. Anyway, Death Valley is the dry one of the driest places on Earth, and a series of storms have battered California's Death Valley and replenished Lake Manly. How many people are going over there, you know, because it's lake manly
1: i didn't even know there was a lake at death valley
0: that's pretty fascinating so a lot of people are going out there and i'm sure that their cars are getting stuck kind of like a burning man uh ty oh, o'neill right. john loker or locker stephanie dazio all from associated press put the article together it's posted at abcnews.go.com i need to sit up oh So this year it's a lake. Park Ranger Nicole Andler said Badwater Basin at Death Valley National Park, which runs along part of the Central California's border with Nevada, is normally a very beautiful bright white salt flat. But now it's moist. In the past six months, Death Valley has received more than double its annual rainfall amount. Everybody's cheering and going, look, the... The drought, it's over. Climate change is just bogus. Not realizing that it hasn't done this in a considerable amount of time. Bad water right, basin.
1: This is weird uh, weather, right?
0: Correct. Yeah. It it probably hasn't done this and I don't know how long. Well, let's see. Maybe the article will go into it. Bob Gang said that he heard the lake had filled up to the point that boaters could go on it about 20 years ago, so he didn't want to miss out on this experience. This time, could be another 20 years before boaters return, he added, with climate change. Who knows? Maybe this will be the normal.
1: Or so this might be the last time this ever happens.
0: Ever happens. <laughs> But it's, the thing about it is that it took torrential rains for this to occur. You know, it's not normal. It's not <laughs> exactly. what you want. It says it's linked to a wet winter from a strong El Nino, a natural and occasional warming of part of the Pacific Ocean that can lead to more precipitation than usual in California, plus climate change, which brings more intense atmospheric rivers to the area more frequently used By the way, uh, having lived in California for a considerable part of my existence, never have I heard of, what is it? Atmospheric rivers.
1: Exactly. I mean, I don't think those came into the lexicon until about the last year or two.
0: Yeah, maybe two. Uh, I could push it to three because my memory since the pandemic has been spotty mush <laughs> <laughs> yes for now friends uh trudel uh Ardeglair and sherry d hopper of las vegas who i guess had to be named in this um will enjoy paddling through the lake at the end of the day on thursday uh arda said their salt encrusted kayaks looked like glazed donuts <sighs> all right there's a video <laughs> over here by the way let me uh, let me i did not throw somebody this. needed
1: a certain word count right for the article
0: yeah and somebody had to mention glazed donuts now i want donuts.
1: maybe it was a rep from Krispy Kreme or dunkin donuts or something
0: oh you think that's what it is this is like meta advertising mm-hmm. mm. who got the money then abc news associated press
1: Maybe the the reporter wanted some donuts <laughs> when this was didn't. being interviewed. <laughs>
0: That's right. This article. The next article is over at Late Night Geeks. Moon dart averted. Quick thinking and a stroke of luck averted a moonlander disaster for Intuitive Machines. As it is, it's kind of laying on its side. Um. So you know, I don't when know. you
1: want to get some grant funds or some. <laughs> Masters, you definitely want to show this
0: off. Yeah, really. Intuitive Machines spacecraft touched down uh, yesterday on the lunar surface and then laid down because it was really tired. CEO Steve Altimus confirmed during a press conference on Friday that while it isn't a perfect landing, it's nothing short of a miracle the spacecraft landed intact at all. Using a small model of the lander, Ultimus demonstrated how engineers believe the spacecraft called Odysseus made its landing. So yeah, I guess it's it's laying down. I don't know this this is an in-air image, like on its way. It's not actually.
1: Right. We don't have an image, I don't think. Uh that's not I think we do, but I don't know if it's in detail.
0: Yeah, we'll have to take a look. So this article's over at TechCrunch.com. Ari. Sorry, the name is Aria, and then uh, Alamahodai, I think. Alamahodai? Or Amalahodai? I'm not sure. I Please correct me. Send an email to mayor at ometown.com. I'd love to know how to pronounce this properly. I always do. I give it a try. You know, I give it the old Harvard try, but I've never gone to Harvard, so I guess it's a half-assed try. Um, Intuitive Machines confirmed yesterday that it touched down on the surface at 5.24 p.m. Central Time, making it the first company to put a privately built spacecraft on the moon. Well, I have a privately uh, crafted moon that I have planted on uh, many a car window. Oh, my. Uh, Never mind. Anyway, uh, but many of the details and details about my moon planting um, will... Uh, go unknown. Uh, part of the reason for that is because the onboard camera, an instrument called Eagle Cam, didn't quite spot that it was falling over. Uh, it was powered down during landing. How would
1: have missed that if it's cam? Wasn't that kind (laughs) of a fundamental (laughs) view?
0: (laughs) It was powered down, apparently. Uh, It's kind of interesting, you know, like, hey, uh, you might want to look where you're landing. So this is powered down without images, engineers had to rely on other data to determine the lander's orientation after it landed. I'm really curious, why don't they, I thought they have laser sensors that are actually beaming down, hitting the surface and, re, and being detected as to its angle, as well as a, a, a gyroscope or 12. But, I
1: thought so, too, because you think we might need that for but the Japanese one did
0: the exact same thing, right? Well, so, what
1: do you think's going on at the moon?
0: Aliens. The good news is that most of the onboard payloads are not on the downward facing panel, the only one that does not need to operate on the lunar surface. The company was able to confirm that many of the major subsystems, including the solar arrays, providing power to the spacecraft and onboard payloads are performing well. So at least it's getting sun, which is, I think, it's as a stroke of luck. Um, It says after reviewing the data, the company realized the morning of the landing that the lasers were not working. Oh, I, I was right. They did have lasers. So they were laser laser rangefinders that that ended up being extremely fortuitous, Altimus said, because it led mission controllers to try to use a navigational subsystem called laser rangefinders far earlier than planned. The lasers were going to be activated for the first time during the final descent phase, but then they said, oh, whoa, 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 these aren't even on
1: right so i guess it's good they were using the alternative method because then they were equipped
0: so they weren't working because they did not turn off a physical safety switch on the component while it was still on the ground
1: Hmm. i mean i guess that's like not disengaging the the child locks but you need to open the doors or something
0: (laughs) there you go yep hey uh don't forget to turn out the lights And then you turn off the power, apparently. But again, it it seems like it shouldn't have been a physical safety switch that you have to remember, and then you don't remember it.
1: Well, and if it's a physical switch, right? What's the problem with that? You can't do anything with it later. (laughs) In
0: space, yeah. Well, aliens can. It was a remarkable last-minute save. Prasun Desai. Deputy Associate Administrator of NASA's Space Technology Mission Director said during the press conference that the agency was hoping to get the Doppler LiDAR technology to a technology readiness level of six. Is that like the Six Sigma kind of a thing? You have to get it to a certain level. Technology readiness level. You know, I'll have to look more into that. I don't
1: know what that is. But if... Uh
0: It's a range of readiness. I'm
1: a little worried if it's only a six.
0: Yeah. But that's a successful execution on board. Odysseus had brought it to uh, level nine, the highest level of readiness. I guess making sure that it was good. It's the
1: measurement system for NASA and the highest level is nine.
0: Gotcha. So when I guess it's akin to throwing water on a fire and going Oh yeah, it works. Give it a nine. So that's what they did. They fired something up and said, Oh great. It works. Pretty cool. Let's keep going. The next article is over in hometown daily luxury space tourism company shows off its capsule designed to float to the edge of space with a massive balloon. And I've, and of course, nothing will go wrong. Dot, dot, dot. So, space well, perspective. And
1: what's with all the balloons lately?
0: <laughs> well, it's not a Chinese New Year spy balloon that's 3 buses in length. And apparently not posing a threat, so let's let it float around above the US. But this is going to be a capsule which like we've had capsules floating around in other liquids. Atmosphere is just a <clears throat> a very diffuse liquid, by the way. So it going up into the edge of space held there by nothing more than a balloon, I'm sure will be just fine.
1: Right. Space the safety per- sounds like it's a level one or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. The technology readiness level is, mm-hmm. oh shit, we're falling. Um, So, Space Perspective unveiled a test model of its Neptune pressurized capsule when it designed to take uh, passengers or that which is designed to take passengers on a six hour suborbital trip. Pardon me.
1: Well, I guess it's good that it's suborbital. I mean, if you're in a balloon, I could see you taking off if you hit orbit.
0: (laughs) The balloon just keeps on going. Hey, look, a Mars mission. Spontaneous Mars mission. <laughs> uh, an aerospace startup has unveiled the test capsule for its luxury space tourism experience. Space perspectives. Neptune will bring passengers on a six-hour flight to the edge of the stratosphere and then drop them into the ocean like so much Neptune. Yeah, um, That's not what's going to happen. I don't think. Uh, let's find out. It's the latest commercial spacecraft for suborbital orbital flight after a Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin. This is the kind of FU money that people have. They're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a capsule and send it to the edge of space.
1: Yeah, I don't know about this. I mean, I think it's good for whatever comes from it, but I'm not so sure about this effort.
0: It'll work. It'll work. Camillo Fonseca is uh, the author of this over at Business Insider. And just imagine kind of like a teardrop shaped capsule. Um, that's what this thing looks like. Or a raindrop teardrop might be a little bit more accurate. <clears throat> um, it's the latest commercial spacecraft for suborbital flight. But it's just a bull It's a it's a pod attached to a big balloon and if up ever taught us anything it's you know one balloon isn't going to be good enough you're going to need more than that and a talking dog that's right the company touts the pressurized neptune capsule on the largest human spacecraft in operation aside from space stations like the iss it also says neptune is the third commercial suborbital spacecraft to ever be built after Spaceship Two space plane and a New Shepard crew capsule. The test capsule called Excelsior, oh my gosh, did they really just call it in honor of the US Air Force's Space Jump project of the same name? So why did they do that Space Jump?
1: I hope that was a successful project. That seems odd to name it after another one.
0: (laughs) It's fully functional, but has not been fitted with the final interior design. Onboard amenities, Wi Fi service, a cocktail bar, and a toilette. If, uh, what? Wow. This is gonna be luxury. But hopefully, its turlets don't break. Um, like the one from Big Bang Theory. Once in commercial operation, Neptune flights are expected to ferry eight passengers and a captain, which the company said will set the record for the most people taken to the edge of space. I don't know why it would need a captain. I guess it can control the balloon. I
1: don't don't know, know. but if I'm a passenger, I definitely want there to be a
0: captain. Yeah, really? Um, You know what? I I don't want a captain. I don't want there to be any judgment about what to do. I want it to be... Readiness level Oh, eight. I uh, see. Right, yeah, re- it's almost like an amusement park ride. <laughs> That's right. Go up, come back, go up, come back. Lower this cost from $125,000 a ticket. So a six hour, 18 mile high balloon trip rather than the relatively short flights of its rocket powered competitors. It's a un- unique experience. Yeah, that would six hours to float your butt up to the edge of space. I guess this is it. That's what it's gonna look like. They better have 16 more of these things ready to go, because I do not want this thing to pop for any reason.
1: Uh, no. Especially not five and a half hours in.
0: Oh, and it needs hydrogen. Because nothing ever bad has happened with hydrogen. And a balloon.
1: Now,
0: oh, the humanity. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Let's throw this into the chat real quick. There you go. Oregon is giving homeless young people one thousand dollars a month to get back on their feet. Here's how it's going. Uh, my one of my most profound. Conversations ended with me kind of walking away because I was talking to someone about universal basic income and how this can augment, you know, somebody's survival, basically. And they said, but the, the, the poor people are just going to spend it. And I said, yeah, that's exactly you know, what they're going to do.
1: On basic human essentials. And but this is... You know what? Money does need to go into the economy.
0: Yeah, but... And the thing about this is that the research has demonstrated that that's exactly what they do. They don't buy frivolous things. It's survival. Um, So Oregon is giving some of its homeless youth $1,000 a month. The state's DHS says uh, recipients report spending money on housing and food. The program is among dozens nationwide trying to alleviate poverty with a guaranteed basic income. And I think that it really should be uh, funded by uh, companies that are automating their processes. So you get a choice. You either augment universal basic income or you hire human beings to do a job that is being taken over by automation. Um, and, And it's a societal benefit, right? You, you can't just keep taking, you have to give back, quit being a sociopath. Um,
1: right. And it, if you're not giving jobs, at least give the equivalent.
0: That's right. Yeah. Cause at some point that's what is going to be happening. Um, and if everybody is using robots who, and people aren't getting paid, where are your products being sold? Because nobody has money. So you're not selling them to the humans. Because it's the bots. They're going to be buying bots. Uh, So uh, Oregon has a severe homelessness problem. Most cities have some level of homelessness. Um, The unhoused actually need places to stay. Uh, I think that tiny homes and tiny home communities should come into existence. And that is the weirdest song. Sorry, I had to skip that. Um, so it says it's h- home to the third worst homeless rate in the country. I would like to rephrase that, but, um, just not worst, just third highest. You don't have to put right. a negative yeah, connotation to it.
1: that's a
0: weird it. phrase. Um, according to a federal account, uh, published in December, and it is the highest rate anywhere of unaccompanied homeless youth. So this is Oregon pretty sad so Kenneth Nehmeyer is the author of this over at businessinsider.com and um, I uh, when I went to New Orleans I saw uh, little communities like this kind of peppering the various regions typically underneath bridges roads Um, I've seen these in many other major metropolitan areas from los angeles to san diego to san francisco new york um, there are these scattered all over um it's i think it's kind of interesting that oregon portland oregon is because um, it's not like it has great weather
1: no it doesn't um yeah that actually doesn't seem to fit the the standard location, right? You see, kind of in the south, right? Yeah. The the warmer climates.
0: Yeah, I mean, and even higher populations, uh, it doesn't have that. How can it be that much? Okay, I'm not going to dig into that right now. So, uh, the Oregon Department of Human Services launched its uh, direct cash transfer plus pilot in February February of 2022. The program targets homeless people between 18 and 24, which just and that's like right at the beginning of their independent life, um, who have an intention to become housed. The DHS wrote last year in a report on youth homelessness in the state. So far, you 100- know what I
1: like about this program compared to some others. I mean, mm-hmm. I think all of these are good, and I want to see more of them. But I like this because it is focused on young population, and if you can start these individuals off on the right foot. You can impact their entire existence.
0: Yeah, pull them out of it before it even gets entrenched. Um, and honestly, depending on the context of the people that are beyond 24 years old, it could be context based on mental health issues. Um, and that's something that is you have to kind of dig your heels in and and solve that problem in a more hands-on manner. Participants in this program receive $1,000 a month. They can also receive a one-time $3,000 enrichment fund payment. The program started implementing the larger payment after conversations with participants who said that they still had significant financial obstacles after receiving the initial payments. This would allow them to secure a residence because it's typical that you need like first and last and maybe some other subordinate funds The only qualification for the program is to be a young person who is unhoused, though there are other factors like being a member of LGBTQ community that can give applicants priority. Um, There are no limits on how participants spend the money. Um, So it says that they mostly spend it on housing, repairing their vehicles, furniture, moving costs, you know, survival. Um 65% of participants said that they were unhoused when the payments began after 6 months only 6 about 63% of them had found housing so I guess 63% of the 65 um about 85% of recipients reported still needing at least occasional assistance with getting access to food um and now food is getting ever more expensive so Um let's see here what else yeah, I, I, getting them housing is the primary thing, and I really think that tiny homes and tiny home communities being spun up by the city slash state with uh, you know, a caring uh, group of people who want to get people into these tiny homes and then out of those tiny homes would be uh, tremendous. Oregon lawmakers, meanwhile, are considering a bill that would provide 12 monthly payments of $1,000 to people who are experiencing homelessness at a risk of homelessness, severely rent burdened or at or below 60% of the median area income. So this is another Which is one.
1: probably a large percentage of the population, yeah, I mean, at exactly. least within that age group.
0: There's others um, that are mentioned in this article, but um, go and check this out. And I'm curious out there if any of you have something that you'd like to say about this, because based on what I have read and what I have heard from various people, these basic income programs have demonstrated, at least on the scale that they're talking about, this is 120 people, where there's oversight to some degree, there's feedback to some degree, there's no constraint on what they can spend the money on. Um, but the people who are being interviewed throughout this program respond favorably, pull themselves out of whatever situation they're in, get some guidance from the program uh, developers, um, and and uh, make their lives better. And all it takes is a little bit of money, which there is plenty to go around. Um, based on what I read today, there's companies out there that have billions of dollars bordering on a trillion dollars of untapped un uh, money that isn't in play we're talking about liquid assets that aren't even being utilized wow um and so yeah we when, have
1: people that can't even afford food
0: yeah and and so there's people but when i talk like this people go well it's my money You're right, but (laughs) yeah, Um, just think you could be there. Oh, no, I'll never be there. They thought the same thing, man. It's not like they were born and said, you know what I want to do? I want to work my way to being unhoused. Uh, the next article is over in Reality Hacker, which might actually end up in the Reality Hacker episode, which is later today. Helldivers 2 and Nightingale expose the issues all live service games uh, face. The thing about Nightingale, at least, is I don't understand why it needs to be um, a live service game, but it is. Uh, the survey issues in games like Helldivers 2 and Nightingale demonstrate that even successful live service titles face problems at launch and that success is actually the cause of most of these issues. Um, and it's because it overwhelms the servers, the login servers and a conversation earlier today with the AI, um, forced me to look back and I cannot find a single instance where a new game that had success. And in fact, any new game ever launched without server related issues.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Thomas, uh, I think it's Francis Francis um, or Francis. Sorry. I'm trying um, over at digital trends, put this article together. It's probably a really short um, article, but they say here uh, with the launches of hell divers Two nightingale suicide squad kill the justice league foam stars skull and bones i might actually get in trouble for saying that one right there out loud um there's a lot of streamers uh, and particularly the youtubers that actually mute Ow. themselves when they say that because it's a trigger word um they all have released to varying degrees of success warner brothers and analysts have uh, suggested that the um, s squad Might as well lean into this. Um, While an insider gaming reported... um, The report claimed that... The same about Skull and Bones. Basically, underperformed... Skull and Bones, though, was... (laughs) Called a... A quadruple-A game. As if triple-A game really means anything. But none of it (laughs) means anything. Um, It's a perception that it means something. But... So... For everybody that um, I've spoken to and I don't even like I don't like Skull and Bones um, but others have said that it's kind of meh and it's kind of a one hit wonder kind of a thing Um, Helldivers 2 though came out of the gate swinging and everybody is falling in love with Helldivers 2 it's the latest go to game except um, they're
1: all sitting in the queue
0: yeah same and but Nightingale, I didn't have much of a problem with, nor have I seen many people having a problem with Nightingale. So I'm not sure about um, how it's in this still to this day, um, because I, I don't think that I've had too many problems playing it. Helldivers, I haven't played, but um, a lot of people are sitting in the queue for Helldivers Um unless you're in the middle of the day and then you can just play it. It's not a big deal, but as soon as everybody starts coming home, uh, that's when the servers start getting crushed. Um, But I remember this all the way back to the original world of Warcraft and every iteration of any online game. um, It's always been plagued by a queue. Yay. I'm waiting for the queue. Um, Better start now. Yeah, and they talk about matchmaking in Helldivers 2 has been a mess since launch. Player caps have had to be implemented to maintain stability. Unfortunately, that means that some people who spend money on Helldivers 2 and want to play it because they heard how good it is just can't. Which that Which is why I don't like... person. This isn't even a persistent world problem because it isn't a central server that you connect to or I should say it shouldn't have to be a central server that you connect to. If I spin up the game, I should be able to host um, a world. Uh, But apparently that's not how it works. It says, Unfortunately, that means many people who spent money on Helldivers 2 and want to play it can't because they're in the queue. They can play uh, offline um, in some games, but it doesn't count for anything and you're not playing with other people um and uh there's other games that are like this too so it's just disconcerting that this is the accepted trend Um, because i remember when i was younger i never had to worry about these because i could host the server right here on this computer or that computer or whatever Um, and i think that's how we really should go back to but the problem is you can't do that. If you want to maintain who has, who's playing your game and any updates that come could turn towards monetization. You can't have everybody hosting their own world because then you have to create a new product altogether and people have to buy this new product. That's kind of our or download, uh, downloadable content DLC. So the studio is now correcting course and working on adding an offline mode for Nightingale. One is also being prepped for Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, another game that inspired the chagrin of players for requiring an internet connection. Again, I don't know why these are requiring Helldivers 2 might be because it has the potential to be competitive. Um, And so it could have a central leaderboard, but still... I think the problem is that maybe the data um, should be capable of feeding into a leaderboard and people can host their own worlds. Uh, I just don't like having to be online just so I can get loot or something. Um, Yeah, there's more over at this article, but I would say um, people really should start railing against these Always online, but not persistent worlds. It's not like this is something like Pal World, for instance. I can rent a server somewhere, and that world will stay there until I stop paying for it, and I can connect to it from any computer that I have Pal Worlds uh, um, installed on.
1: Right, but there you're not getting the same experience, right? Because you can get on quickly and
0: yeah exactly yeah and that's how i think it should be it shouldn't require somebody else's server just to facilitate connectivity integrated into the into the game um that you purchase so okay let's keep going though uh we're about halfway through all right let's keep going uh, this next article is over in Gnome Town Daily. Food hasn't been this much of your budget since the 90s, if you've been around for the 90s.
1: <laughs> or we're buying food in the 90s, even if you were around in the 90s.
0: Yep, Consumers are spending more of their budgets on food than they have in 30 years. While inflation has slowed, it's still left prices stubbornly elevated. That's because it's the Rockets and Feathers uh, kind of... How what is that called? I don't know what that's actually referred to as.
1: Oh, I didn't know there was a name for it.
0: So basically prices shoot up but it floats back down. When people start railing against it.
1: Asymmetric pricing?
0: Well um
1: Asymmetric pass through is another thing that shows up, but
0: Yeah, essentially what happens is um, during inflationary times, the price will shoot up or when there's conflict, there's price will shoot up or they find some environmental reason. And by environmental, I mean the societal whatever. Um, The environment allows them to raise prices dramatically and they being the producers of a product or service. Suddenly the price shoots up. And then when everything levels out and everything is fine, instead of going back to its normal rate, they know exactly how much people are willing to pay and they leave it there or they take five cents off, you know, instead of it being $15.99, it's $15.95. Big freaking deal. So Americans are spending an awful lot on food thanks to ongoing impact of inflation, which I think is it's not inflation. It's inflation caused by greedy bastards at the supplier side. Um, so much so that groceries haven't been a greater chunk of their budget since the 1990s just wait until it's in the 70s uh, u.s consumers spent 11.3 of their disposable 11.3 percent of their disposable income on food in 2022
1: well that's bad considering that all other aspects are also going up at yep. least dollar wise if not percentage wise
0: yep alex bitter over at businessinsider.com put the article together Let's see here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They say the high uh, food costs could stick around for a while. Executives and small business owners have said, yeah, again, let me just reiterate that I was told back in 2019 that the era of cheap food is over. And now the AI had found other instances of people saying this like a decade ago or eight years ago or 10 years, 20 years, Back in the 50s, you know, that might be doom and gloom. And a broken clock is right twice a day, so. But I'm telling you, this was like the creepy-ass deadpan just statement with seemingly no rhyme or reason as to why it was said. Uh, But that's what I heard. And immediately the next year, the pandemic started crushing people. The economy started taking a hit. Prices started to going up, um, and suppliers, the the producer price index, um, started going in one direction, and the consumer price index started going in another direction. And now, on the other side, the pr- producer price index is uh, not accelerating at the same rate as the. Uh, Consumer price index. Consumer price index. Yeah. So they're getting a greater profit. Which, if you look at any producer of any product or service, you'll see that's absolutely correct. They've got record profits, and they're taking more money from the people. So they have less in their bank accounts and less food in their cupboards, pantry. Anyway um it says it's not going to get much better since then uh, while inflation has slowed down a tad some of the products like cars and appliances getting more affordable prices are still increasing and the cost of many food items remain lofty credit card rates are at an all-time high right now it's like extraordinarily high so you better not have any credit card and burden um or you better better be able to manage it in some way Uh, Consumers are still reeling from the historically high levels of inflation that has accumulated over the last two years. But as businesses that are making this and banking systems that are making this, meanwhile, there's billionaires, billionaires with multiple billions of dollars, hundreds. You know why? Whatever. Okay, so one restaurant owner in Georgia told Business Insider last month that higher rent, ingredient costs, and employee pay have all forced him to raise prices. This has led to some customers stopping by less often for a BLT, which has hurt sales, he said. Um, Golly, employees actually have to get paid more because they are dealing with higher rent and higher ingredient costs. Again, everybody needs to sit there and go... This this can't happen anymore, you know? But when there's not enough competition, then they can raise prices at an irrational rate. Some companies haven't hiked prices. Instead, they've cut the size of packages, and that's actually both. They've raised prices and they've reduced packages.
1: Shrinkflation, yay! Mm.
0: But they say shrinkflation as if the prices aren't being hiked, but they're hiking the prices too. Anyway, there... There's always more at the articles, so go follow the link through hometown over to Business Insider and come back tomorrow and talk with us about your feelings uh, regarding this and what you may have read about or seen um, or heard or I don't know, used an AI to create a hallucination. Uh, The next article is over in Technology Today, which is also a new show. Dun, dun, dun. How a TikTok clip led demand for a 177-year-old sourdough starter to rise, which I think is an intentional pun.
1: Yes, I think so, too.
0: (laughs) U.S. enthusiasts who follow the tradition of sharing dough are now receiving about 1,000 requests a week, up from 30 to 60. The, uh, there's an old pioneer tradition dating from the earliest days of the colonization of the U S West says Mary Buckingham that you shared your bread starter with anyone who asked. So, uh, this article is over at the guardian.com by Esther Adley. And they've got a picture of Carl Griffith, sorry, Carl Griffiths. 1847 Oregon Trail Sourdough which I don't know if this is legit but anyway um, it says it's well, been right. kept alive How since 1847 <laughs> yeah. yeah tradition holds that the starter nurtured by Mary Buckingham and her friends in Colorado has been kept alive since 1847 now, that doesn't look much alive but maybe it's in stasis right yeah I don't know Um, so for decades Buckingham, a retired meteorologist from Greeley, Colorado, and a tiny community of bread enthusiasts have embodied that generous tradition for posting for free to anyone who sent a stamped addressed envelope, a sample of sourdough starter, to use in their own baking. This is not, however, just any old starter. The natural yeast and bacteria culture in this mix tradition holds has been lovingly fed and kept alive since 1847 when a pioneer family pushed west in a covered wagon from Missouri to settle in the state of Oregon. Maybe they should make a whole bunch of that dough and give it to the unhoused.
1: huh? That would be good. Maybe they can team up with that other organization from the other article.
0: Yeah, there you go. Let's see here. Sourdough is a naturally fermented culture of flour and water that's used to make leavened bread for most of human history. Before the development of commercial yeast, surprised by many bread makers, it requires careful management to feed and maintain the culture, which can theoretically live and grow indefinitely. The 1847 starter has its origins in the family of Carl Griffith, an Oregon lawyer who was born in 1919 and served in the U.S. Air Force in Britain during the Second World War. Wow. I just how I need to find out more about this because how it says, uh, it's like a little pet. You, you got to keep it fed and alive. And if you don't, then it dies. Often they'll do that for a little while. And then they'll say, Oh, this is too much bother. It's easier to buy local bread from the store, which is kind of where I'm at, but it depends. I mean, how much work is it to babysit a, right?
1: A I don't starter? know. And can you imagine? Okay, this thing legitimately goes for hundreds of years, and then somebody kind of drops the ball, <laughs> and then it's gone.
0: There's a story. I don't know where it was. I know that I heard a story from Nine One uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine about a family starter. Yeah. Um, but I thought I heard about somebody like dropping the a starter, a sourdough starter it was the only thing left like the family it, and that was the last of it and, oh no uh, yeah but now i'm gonna have to look into this you know bread making is fairly simple i mean you just put the ingredients together and throw it in an oven and you don't need a special oven not like a you know uh, those
1: like uh, you don't need a bread oven. machine
0: yeah. yeah or you can put it in a bread machine i mean you can do one or the other but i I don't know it seems so easy but then you go and you talk to a doctor and a doctor is like you gotta stop eating carbs and i'm like but i love bread and then they say well then i guess you know your ticker is gonna tick faster (laughs) but
1: i'll get to eat bread along the way but i'll
0: get to eat bread you know what yeah and let me remind everybody that i had a doctor tell me that my warranty was up uh, not
1: sure where you go from there
0: <laughs> close to what 15 years ago now something like that I think it was yeah I'm gonna go find that doctor where are you now <laughs> that might be rude alright let's keep going the next article's over in technology today as well human like real time sketching by a humanoid robot. Well, artists, your job is about to end. Rapid advancement of deep learning algorithms, generative models has enabled an automated production of increasingly striking AI generated artistic content. Most of this AI generated art, however, is created by algorithms and computational models rather than by physical robots. But apparently this bot CEO, the UC3M Robotics Lab, humanoid robot painting a flower.
1: <laughs> you know, they should have given it some design and made it look like a robot with a painting palette and a beret or something.
0: Yeah, really? Paint me like one of your French bots? Yes. Ingrid Fideli from Tech Explorer that's the site techexplorer.com um, put the article together researchers at universidad Complutense de madrid or ucm and universidad carlos III, i guess carlos three de madrid boy i'm ruining this recently developed a deep learning based model that allows a humanoid robot to sketch pictures similarly to how human artists would their paper published in cognitive systems research offers a remarkable demonstration of how robots can actively engage in creative processes. Do they have another picture generated waypoints obtained during the execution of the flower sketch? Look, man, if all it does is look like that right there no. but I guess this is the beginning of AI, like physical oh. media, not digital.
1: Right. And is it like draw a flower and it only knows how to draw a flower or is it something you could walk up to it and say, draw or through a computer or whatever, draw something else and then it does it somehow.
0: Yeah. So it says the goal of the study was not to make a painting robot application that could generate complex paintings, but rather to create a robust physical robot painter. We wanted to improve on the robot control stage of painting painting robot applications because you know a painting robot is really the future
1: well i mean it's fine motor skills so i suspect it could be utilized somewhere else
0: yeah so we've had that kind of a discussion here um and over on reality hacker um that the fine motor skills that leads to the ability to paint is going to be one of those things that in the future is going to take more and more jobs away because that fidelity you know with your hand robots just can't do that without being purposefully built and then they're wildly expensive but if a little bot can sit there and start painting looks like it's using a dry erase marker not really painting um and this is a hell i don't know is that
1: a pad like an easel
0: this is it a dry erase It does look like a dry board.
1: erase board though.
0: And that looks like a dry erase pen. But um I, not so much painting. Anyway, um it's quite the contraption for what it is. This thing is this has a, they must have a really big budget. <laughs> um so as they were trying to automate sketching using a physical robot, the researchers had to also adv- devise a strategy to translate the distances and positions observed in AI generated images into a canvas in the real world. To achieve, the, to achieve this, they uh, generated a discretized virtual space within the physical canvas in which the robot could move and directly translate the painting positions provided by the model. So. It didn't actually create it from nothing. It had a picture that it created in its mind's eye and then created the picture. See, for me, when I've done drawings, I don't see... So I have a picture in my head, but when I start actually drawing that picture, the drawing that I do on the paper never matches the level of image in my head i know that that will come with skill but is this thing actually generating a picture and then um spitting it out onto the dry erase board um or is it drawing something processing adding more content to it processing adding more content to it i just don't know we don't Um, know
1: and this is probably the first of this kind of study
0: Yeah, so let's see here. What else did they say? Uh, The recent work by the team of researchers is a fascinating example of how robots could create art in the real world via actions that more closely resemble those of human artists. So I see this actually as the first step at real-world painting from bots. But an AI makes it uh, infinitely more creative than even uh, a single human i think so it's going to be a problem in the future for artists because then it's no longer oh look it's digital art it's gonna be physical paint um, or mixed media of some kind but this will be interesting to watch let's keep going uh, the next article is over in nometown Daily. See how the world's largest cruise ship—and I actually refer to them as petri dishes—so um, see how the world's largest petri dish feeds ten thousand people every day.
1: Wait <clears> a second. What? That's. They not need the to title? team up with Oregon's program.
0: Hey, there you go. Well, these people are—they're these people are getting are paying. Um, Royal Caribbean icon of the seas ship accommodates 9,950 people, 7,600 guests, and 2,350 crew. What? That's a crew member for every, what, three people?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: The cruise ship has over 40 restaurants, bars, lounges, we get to tour one of its 37 kitchens responsible for 2,400 diners a day. Most people don't go on airplanes just to get airplane food. Some travelers do, however, go on cruises just to get cruise food. Cruise food. It's called a- I don't
1: know what cruise food is. <laughs> they need to rebrand that.
0: It's called a stay at a hospital. Brittany Chang over at businessinsider.com put the article together. Um so let's see if uh what they say here Icons food preparation begin uh, process begins on land in Miami where the ship takes delivery of its provisions before every uh before every sailing yeah before every sailing I thought it might say before every sa- sail sailing everything okay over there
1: Yes okay
0: so fresh food like berries cheeses and herbs are refreshed weekly uh, German Riho, the executive chef told told said mm. during a tour of the kitchen why is this article kind of breaking my head the mega cruise because means it's not written food.
1: correctly <laughs>
0: <laughs> mega cruise mega food orders on a smaller sailing uh, let's say one with 4,000 guests the ship would still carry about 2,500 pieces of prime rib and 120 to 200 pieces of beef tenderloin. Gotcha. First in, first out. All right. Um. Icon of the Sea's uh, restocked food supplies, then distributed to its 37 kitchens. And uh, it just goes on and on. They have pictures of this and a picture of the chandelier. It's almost like it's marketing. And it's interesting as well.
1: I mean, it's a major operation, right? They're feeding a lot of people, a lot of meals.
0: Apparently, the third deck is the kitchen. Of icons, 425 cooks, 45 work out of this kitchen, which is on the third deck. Turning out 10 or 11 hour work days. Turning out 10 or 11 hour work days. This whole article is hurting my head. Besides servicing the main dining room, the kitchen also prepares the ship's breads and pastries. So there you go.
1: Oh, there's some more churning. And more churning.
0: Oof. All right. Yeah, this is an interesting article, so stop by. They always have great pictures and little descriptions of what's going on in each of them.
1: And this is actually from this cruise line, correct?
0: Yeah. These photos? Yeah. Yep, yep. keep going we have one more article uh this last article is over in reality hacker three tiny new moons spotted orbiting i giggle whenever i say it because i'm 15. uh three tiny new moons spotted orbiting uranus and neptune astronomers have discovered three tiny moons orbiting the far off planets neptune and uranus if I say Are it, you
1: doing okay, Mayor? What?
0: <laughs> oh man, I'm giggling so hard inside right now. Um, the anyway, the the uh, outer solar system planets. Let's go over to Digital Trends. They got a picture of this thing. Georgina Torbay or Torbet uh, put the article together. Unlike J- Jupiter and Saturn, which both have a plethora of moons, Uranus is known to host 28 moons. And if Uranus has to host 28 moons, okay, I'll just stop. Um, and Neptune just 16. That includes Uranus's new diminutive moon, which is just five miles across. Why would it be called a moon though? Maybe it's just like a, a meteor stuck it's in It's
1: like a rock. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, like Uranus's other moons, it'll be named after a character from a Shakespeare play. Uh, but a new name has not yet been chosen so far. I guess that's it right there. Oh, that's it right there. That little. Oh wow. Little dot. So the discovery of the image of uh, the new Uranian moon S slash 2023 U1 was taken using the Magellan telescope on November 4th, 2023. Pretty neat. Um, the existence of the moons was confirmed using other telescopes, including the European Southern Observatory's Very Large Telescope and the Gemini um, Observatory's. Oh, is Eater it Gemini?
1: Telescopes.
0: Gemini is the missions. Gemini, I think, is the rest of the, the okay. stuff. But yeah, Gemini it was actually the NASA missions um multiple observations were required to conform the moon's orbit and size that's actually a pretty standard procedure one of the interesting facts about the discovery of the moons of the distant planets is that the moon systems of the giant planets seems to be similar despite how different the planets are so even uranus which is tipped on its side has a similar moon population to the other giant uh, giant planets orbiting our sun and neptune which is likely captured um the Distant uh, kuiper belt object triton an ice-rich body uh larger than pluto an event that could have disrupted its moon system has outer moons that appear similar to its neighbors so um, even when it captures something it finds balance in nature but that's it folks um for this episode of the daily news show, we get back into the party bus and I'm not gonna click the screen, but what I'm gonna do is say, stay tuned. We have uh, wanted and we have reality hacker today. No?
1: We do, but you're right. You don't want to refresh.
0: <laughs> because drama. It's a
1: high ratio of, of political
0: yeah i'm gonna i think i'm gonna i might see life it has political news in it um but and we get
1: good non-political news from the sources that provide the political news yeah
0: but i might be able to i might be able to solve it so anyway it's heavy lifting and uh, i don't like i don't like filtering the news out for everybody i Anyway, um, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that's trying to keep me out of trouble, even though I'm diving, hell diving into.
1: Slowly in the queue.
0: <laughs> Very true. All right. Let me do that again. I'm Marwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that's going to say bye. And we'll see you in a couple of, I don't know, maybe about 15 minutes while I reset.
1: Good night on town citizens. Be sure to tune back in shortly for our next show.
0: See you soon. Oh, hell divers. I'm in the queue.